Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and uh, welcome to Babbage on Economist Radio. I'm Ludwig Siegele, the technology editor at The Economist, and this week I'm asking the question, has the Internet failed? For this investigation, I'll explore the question of whether the Internet is too centralized. The way we've architectured the Internet on a fundamental level has led to the formation of these centralized structures that we're seeing. And what could be done to decentralize it? When it comes to something like Bitcoin, again, built on a blockchain, when I relay that message that I want to make a transfer from account A to account B, that is going to a larger network of computers. And that makes it impossible for a single party to monopolize the database and to centralize control of that database. And we look at how China regulates the Internet. It was protected from foreign competition in a sense, and this gave the Chinese private companies an opportunity to develop their own type of Internet and, and applications within the Internet with their own characteristics. I'm here at the London Blockchain Summit, which is one of the bigger blockchain conferences in Europe. And it, literally thousands of people here, I think they 6,000 signed up. So asking why the internet has failed seems to be a very silly question. I mean, by lots of measures, the internet seems to be one of the most important or greatest human interventions. Imagine, if you will, sitting down to your morning coffee, turning on your home computer to read the day's newspaper. Well, it's not as far-fetched as it may seem. And Imagine a world where every word ever written, every picture ever painted, and every film ever shot could be viewed instantly in your home via an information superhighway. A virtual world with a very real money-making data trail. Users of social media platforms unaware how profitable the information they have is for those who are willing to access it. Cambridge Analytica, the company which says it uses data to change audience behavior. The company which, notoriously, some credit with helping Donald Trump take the White House. The way the internet has turned out is actually quite different from uh, what its fathers have thought it would be. I mean, Tim Berners-Lee, the inventor uh, of the World Wide Web, thought of it as a shared space where everybody kind of could communicate and publish and put out his or her shingle, all that kind of a very decentralized space. Others, like John Perry Barlow, even thought that the governments wouldn't have any kind of say in cyberspace. And of course, we know that has turned out much more differently. And that's, I think, that's the question here is the internet is actually quite centralized. So what does centralized mean? And originally, kind of the the architecture of the internet allowed for almost a free for everybody. And now we're much more in a situation like, I'm here at this London Blockchain Summit, a big conference, thousands of people, and it looks like chaos, but it's actually quite organized. There's different tickets, they only can go to certain speeches. This conference is a bit like a walled garden. It's the, there's no complete freedom, you're nudged to do certain things. And I think that's what happened to the internet. And to find out more about that, I thought, let's talk to one of the founding fathers of the internet, Tim Berners-Lee. He's now a professor at Oxford, and I went to Oxford to 
Christ Church College to talk to him was kind of funny because he has this office all the way kind of in the bowels of the building and I, I got lost. But I met him and, and he still looks the same like when he invented the World Wide Web 20 years ago and we sat down and talked and I actually asked him, so do you think the internet has failed? Well, I wouldn't say that the internet has failed with a capital F, but I would say that it has failed to deliver the positive, constructive society that many of us originally had hoped for. Why did the internet get uh, more centralized than people expected? So you have to understand that it was developed to communicate. It's just a way of quickly sending things around messages. It didn't keep track of who sent the message. It didn't keep track of what happened. So in the beginning of the internet browsers, there was no way for a browser, for example, to, or for an e-commerce site for that matter, to find out what you had ordered or what was in your kind of virtual shopping cart. And so then companies started keeping track of that and they got bigger and bigger. And that's where we ended up in the situation we have now. Think of Google not as a search engine. Think of Google as a big database keeping track of what's out there on the internet and what people have searched and so they, it can optimize its search result. Think of Facebook not necessarily as, as a social medium, but as a database that keeps track of who you know, what you have shared with uh, your friends, what pictures you've uploaded. I thought I needed to talk to somebody who knows more about this, who has really thought about this, who is Joel Monegro. He's a venture capitalist. He's founded a venture firm called Placeholder VC. And I asked him, so what he thinks about centralization, and in particular, what are the drawbacks of centralization? There's several issues, but I'll focus on just one, which is from the point of view of innovation, what's happened as the internet has gotten more and more centralized around large companies like Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon is that the cost of competing with these companies has increased. And from the point of view of a venture capitalist that invests in innovation, that makes our job quite hard. And what we're seeing in the market is that new young companies are having a harder and harder time finding a space in the marketplace. To get another view, I talked to Jutta Steiner. She is the founder and CEO of a uh, startup based in London, Parity Technologies. And I asked her basically the same question. What, what are the problems of centralization and what can we do about it? The way how we've architected the internet on a fundamental level has led to the formation of these centralized structures that we're seeing on a corporate level with big organizations like Google and Facebook, that because of the way how we have to build the systems that we all depend on, it's very useful, both from an economic perspective, but also from a technological perspective, to have data centralized sitting in, in servers that are locked away for nobody to see what's going on. A few years ago, conversations started around micro licenses for data, for example. So think of I use my Fitbit and I want to understand a bit better, like how my body functions um, because of health reasons or whatnot. But at the moment, the only people that really can make use of the data on a larger scale are the services provider behind, while really I should be in charge to decide who has access, who can do research. I mean, a large amount of medical research for example, could be made possible by if I was in charge and could decide who can get access to the data. What can be done about centralization? How can we decentralize the internet? And one of the most important technologies in that context is the blockchain. If you may remember, that's kind of the underlying technology that powers Bitcoin. 
but it's essentially a shared database, a distributed database that's not run by one administrator or doesn't sit in, on one computer, but it's spread around on, on many computers. And there's kind of a consensus mechanism as a mechanism where the participants or some participants of that blockchain decide how to update it. And that's how the champions of what's called Web 3.0 are trying kind of to, to develop decentralized applications. And so, how will that work in practice? Here's Joel Monegro again. The way the blockchain works is that it, it not only regulates how messages are passed between computers in a network, but also makes sure that the data is stored on various computers around the world. And uh, in contrast to uh, how the internet works, if you compare something like Bitcoin, for example, which is an online service built on top of a blockchain, to something like PayPal, which is an online service built in a traditional web model, uh, when I want to initiate a financial transaction with PayPal, I use the open internet protocols to communicate with PayPal and relay the message that I want to initiate a transfer from account A to account B. And once that message gets to PayPal, PayPal is the only company or the only party that is responsible and able to maintain that database and update that database. And that gives PayPal quite a bit of power when it comes to managing that data. When it comes to something like Bitcoin, again, built on a blockchain, when I relay that message that I want to make a transfer from account A to account B, that is going to a larger network of computers, all of which maintain the database. And that makes it impossible for a single party to monopolize the database and to centralize control of that database. And that makes it difficult to centralize power. What's next? The blockchain exists. There are some implementations. What can be done next? I discussed this with Jutta Steiner again. In an existing blockchain, after a while, what we observe is that innovation happens way slower than we would like it to see. It's mainly due to the fact that we haven't found a way of doing governance consistently in this decentral setup. So it's one thing that we're working on, and and this relates to what we think the technology we're building can provide. It's in and of itself a blockchain, but it underpins sort of a network of blockchains, and it provides... We say that the international law for all the different jurisdictions. So every every blockchain in and of itself has a way of determining what the rules are. And you need a way, like basically diplomacy between the chains, like the fundamental rules that everyone can agree on in order to exchange data and, and trade with each other between the chains. So the function of the, the technology you build is to allow for more innovation and also competition between blockchains. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to provide is a is a framework that makes it easy for chains to be launched and still be interoperable with what what is existing and therefore be a framework for for innovation going forward. In the West, we have this backlash, this movement, this Web 3.0 movement, trying to decentralize or re-decentralize the internet. China mostly, has drawn other lessons. They think that actually the solution is to centralize the internet even more and to get government involved even more. To learn more, I talked to uh, Max Zenglein. He is an economist at the Mercato Institute for China Studies about what has changed in how China regulates the internet recently. Well, I think the, the main uh, concern of the government was its concern about uh, critical information that it wanted to protected citizens from, from reading about. So I think that was the initial drive for them because, I mean, not too long time ago, in 2008, 2007, it was still quite possible to use Google, to use Facebook, and then this was continuously rolled out and becoming more a string engine 
over the past 10 years. So by building the, the Great Firewall, the Chinese government kind of built an internet of its own as kind of a sandbox where, where the internet developed differently. So, so how different? It was, it was protected from, from foreign competition in, in a sense, and this gave the Chinese uh, private companies, in, in a sense, uh, an opportunity, opportunity to develop their own type of internet and, and applications within the internet with their own characteristics. And it gave them the room and also the time to grow uh, free from, from global competition. As uh, the, the internet in China becomes more centralized, I mean, what consequences do you expect? What things do you expect to change? Well, I think the, the companies initially benefited from a lack of regulation uh, within China and uh, were pretty much free to develop their own ecosystem within the, the internet. As they're becoming more strategically important for also government objectives, there's uh, an increasing interference by the government in, in setting the tone and setting the direction of where these companies should be working in and what they should be delivering in. And I think this is potentially a challenge for their ability to be innovative. Around me here, lots of people very eager to learn more about the blockchains. There's lots of hype. I mean, it's almost a religious fever for the blockchain. I wonder, how is this going to turn out? Will the blockchain, will Web 3.0 re-decentralize Internet? And I have to admit, I don't know. I, I see the possibilities, the opportunities, but there are lots of issues, technical issues, how to get into the market, how to get people to use it. At the same time, you have China trying to kind of push centralization even further, and that may also be happening in the West. So in a way, we're at the crossroads here. Will the internet go back to its roots, back to the future, become more decentralized again, or will it become even more centralized? And I think that may not be a very satisfactory answer. I don't know. It go, could go both ways. What I will say, though, is that It's a very important question to watch. We should really care because as the internet, as digital technology penetrates ever more parts of society and, uh, and, and our lives, how the internet is organized will also control or kind of determine how we live. And I think, at least normatively, the world should be more decentralized, probably a world which allows for more freedom, more degrees of freedom than a world where the internet, where technology is controlled by big companies or governments for that matter. That's all for this internet special of Babbage. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know whether you think the internet can be repaired or whether Web 3.0 will change the way we use the internet. Tell us in an email to radio at economist.com or tweet us at Economist Radio. And for more information or more of our journalism, you can subscribe to The Economist at economist.com radio offer to get 12 issues for $12 or £12. I am Ludwig Siegele in London. This is The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.